This is the Dreamers Podcast, episode 68, with money mindset coach Natalie Bullen. Today is May 3rd, 2022. We've been talking taking money from people is bad. And at a deeper level, that rich people are evil or that rich people are mean or that rich people are greedy. There's this rhetoric that the rich have like trampled on the backs of the poor to get where they are. Well, if you really believe that, then you're never going to be rich. If you truly believe that rich people have harmed innocent people and you know you're a good person and you'd never do that, well, then you're kind of condemning yourself to the middle class. You're telling your brain, it's not safe for me to be rich because if I become rich, I'll become a bad person. It's safer for me to stay middle class. And I find that as an overarching fear, especially in communities of color. Hello, world. Welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. I am Stephanie Annie's, also known as Annie's Wealth. I am a financial coach and an author. I self-published my first book, Dream of Legacy, a guide to help dreamers reach financial independence and build generational wealth. In this podcast, I'll have conversations with experts and thought leaders who dare to follow their dreams. You'll hear about their journey and their money stories. I hope it inspires you, dreamers out there, to live life on your own terms. Come on, dreamers. Let's change the world. This podcast is brought to you by Dream of Legacy. Check out dreamoflegacy.com for resources to assist you on your journey to financial independence. Before we get into today's episode, please take a couple minutes to go into Apple Podcasts if you're listening from an Apple device to rate and review the podcast. If you appreciate the free resources that are provided in this podcast, then the best way to let me know is to do just that. Reviews help the podcast be more visible and it helps other dreamers discover the podcast. So thank you. I appreciate you. And now let's get back to today's episode. Hello. Welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. I'm your host, Anne's Wealth. And I'm so, so happy that you've decided to tune in today for another episode of the podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And I hope you stick around and hit subscribe. And if you've been tuning in for a while, thank you. I really appreciate you. Today on the podcast, I am chatting with Natalie Bullen. Natalie is a wealth and money mindset coach. She is the owner of Unapologetic Wealth. She teaches financial empowerment and money mindset training for powerful women of color so they can step into the wealth they deserve and desire. Natalie is a financial planner who shuns traditional personal finance values rooted in shame, guilt, and fear and encourages followers to dream bigger, increase their prices, and magnify their gifts. Today on the podcast, Natalie and I talk about some of the mindset that we have to overcome to build wealth. She talks about her money story and what led her to the work that she does now, helping entrepreneurs earn more money. Natalie shares some of the steps that we can take today to develop a mindset that will help us step into the wealthy life that we deserve. She shares some of the techniques that we can use to overcome our scarcity mindset so that we can actually embrace our greatness. Here is Natalie Bullen. Natalie Bullen, welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah, I'm Natalie Bullen. 
I am the owner of Unapologetic Wealth, a coaching and consulting firm that helps ambitious BIPOC women step into the wealth they deserve and desire by helping them get visible so they can get paid, overcome their money mindset and pricing hurdles, and ultimately create generational wealth. So what has led you to this work? What's your money story? I started off doing everything right in my mind. I grew up lower middle class. I started working at 15. I went off to college like you're supposed to. I got a full scholarship. I made straight A's. I worked two jobs in college and ultimately ended up losing my scholarship, having to take out a lot of loans. I waited tables at Cracker Barrel almost seven years just to be told I wasn't good enough to be a manager when I finally got my degree. And I worked low paid jobs for years. No one ever said work a better job. I paid my bills on time. Yeah, I had a lot of credit cards, but they were all paid on time. I thought I was doing well. I had a budget. I was meticulous. I never overdrafted my account. By all intents and purposes, I was doing well. And then a series of unfortunate events, a health scare, which led to a job loss, a bad breakup, had me sleeping on a friend's couch and ultimately filing bankruptcy. All I could think to myself was, how does somebody with a 750 FICO file bankruptcy? How does somebody with a budgeted spreadsheet Mm -hmm. file? How does this work? I remember calling creditors and saying, hey, I'm not late, but I'm going to be. Can you work with me? And I remember being told, no, Mm -hmm. we can't help you until your payment's late. We can't help you until you're three months late, six months late. Mm. I'm not going to have any credit score by the time I'm six months late. I'm trying to tell you today that I'm going to be late. And the only bank that I remember helping me was Chase. Every other bank that I had an account with, we can't help you. And so, you know, it really got ingrained in me early in my 20s that the way that we teach financial literacy, the way that we're doing it, especially in Black communities, is wrong. Credit's not going to save you. You can make a $1,000 payment on Monday, but if you can't make your minimum payment of $25 in two weeks, you're done. You really need cash. That's what I needed. I needed more income. But see, no one ever said, Natalie, go out and get a high paying job. It was just work really hard, stick to a budget, pay on time. There was a really key component about making more money that got completely missed. And I thought to myself, if a person with a business degree and an MBA can fall in this hole. As intelligent as I am, a person with good credit could literally be swept off their feet by six months of unfortunate events. This could happen to anybody. And we need to do a better job of explaining to people what financial empowerment actually is. If you are cash poor and credit rich, you're poor. And that's something I really, obviously, I have learned. And if I can protect someone from making the kind of mistake I made, and encourage young people, go get the best, highest paying job you can get. Quit that job if they won't give you a raise. See, no one told me that. It was all loyalty. Stay with a company for years and years. Give them your all. And maybe that was true in my grandfather's era. He's a World War II veteran. Or maybe my mother's era, who's a baby boomer. But the millennial era, there's no financial benefit to staying in a low paying job. You said so much just now. One of the things you said is that we are not thought to go earn more. And even in the personal finance space, a lot of the emphasis is put on cutting down your expenses. You're going to have to go and earn that extra money and budgeting, which are very important, right? But then at some point, (laughs) so can you talk to me about what you did once you realized that 
you can no longer stay in those low paying jobs. What is it that you did to start earning more? At first, I just worked more jobs. (laughs) 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 At first, I had two jobs when I filed bankruptcy. So I said, maybe I need three. Mm. So I worked three jobs for a while. For years, I've worked pretty much every part-time job you could ever think to have. Dillard's, Pottery Barn, J. Crew. Boy, I was quick to pick up a retail job. I worked my eight to five, and then I worked six to nine. And sometimes I'd work first thing in the morning. I stocked shelves at Ross Dress for Less. Anybody who would hire me, I have a gift. I can get any low-paying job I want, okay? It's a (laughs) gift and a curse. I can walk in any store and leave with a job. But then you burn out and you realize you don't have any time. So I got a job at the bank. I'd always wanted to work in banking. And I realized the people making money are in the affluent segment, the ones who work with the clients with assets. So I got licensed. I got my Series 6, 63, 65, and I became a brokerage associate. And I did make a little more money. I think my base pay was maybe 48K. And it's with the MBA and with the licenses, just some people are <laughs> understanding. And to me, that was a lot of money. It's the most money I'd ever made in my life. But I was like, you just can't build wealth. I'm looking at these numbers and I'm looking at the charts. I'm looking at the tables and I'm like, this math is not math. There's just no way this is ever going to turn into millions of dollars. So I realized, you know what? I'm going to have to step out on faith. I'm going to have to start my own business. I must. And I had done some public speaking and I thought I was good at it. So that's really my first foray. I started approaching people to see if they would pay me even $250 to speak at various events. And I started getting it. And then I said, well, maybe I can get 500. And I started getting it. Well, maybe I can get a thousand. And I started getting it. So I would tell someone to lean into whatever your gift or your strength is. And then I found Clubhouse. And even though Clubhouse is not a paid app per se, it gave me a megaphone. It gave me an opportunity to get on. I have a room later this evening where I can stand up on a stage basically and shout from the rooftop what my beliefs are. And when you share your beliefs, you give other people permission to buy into your belief. Mm. And now you two have a bond because you believe the same thing. And when you have people who all believe the same, it's a lot easier to sell to those people and just building an audience and making a name for myself. So for me, that has helped tremendously being more visible but even if you're not like me, if you're listening to me thinking, I could never do that, Natalie. But you could do something. You have some gift God gave you. The problem is we don't look for it. We just keep clocking in. I can tell you I was not looking for any gift that God gave me. I was looking for another paycheck. And you tend to find what you look for. So as a money mindset coach, what are some of the common beliefs about money that your clients have that oh, you man. help them overcome? So many. I think the most common one is just fear, scarcity based. I have to work this job. I have to take these clients. I have to charge this fee. No one else in my industry charges XYZ. I have to charge low ticket. You don't understand, Natalie. My client can't afford more. They're single parents. They're black women. They don't have the money. And I'm like, do you know that client that you think is poor got a Louis Vuitton purse and drive a Range Rover? So it's really about priorities. People spend money on what they value. So if you lead with my service doesn't have much value, it's not worth very much, then why would a person spend a lot of money on it if you've devalued it? And I don't think women realize the positioning that they put themselves in. They basically say, I'm a therapist and now I want to be a coach. 
But I coach women who are broken and who have been abused and who have these problems and they don't have any money. So I'm going to offer them this service because they need it. Mm. You basically devalued the service saying it's not worth the transformation. Because if you told the truth and said, look, this coaching could save your life. It can give you the skills and the fortitude to not fall into another bad situation when you run across another potential suitor. Well, hell, I'd pay anything for that mm. kind of transformation. I'd pay if I'd been in a bad situation with a man, and I have, and you told me you could coach me into fortifying my own self-worth and confidence where I never made that mistake again, you could write a check in my checkbook. I would mm. pay for that. But that's not how we sell things. And again, we've been taught taking money from people is bad. And at a deeper level that rich people are evil or that rich people are mean or that rich people are greedy, there's this rhetoric that the rich have like trampled on the backs of the poor to get where they are. Well, if you really believe that, then you're never going to be rich. If you truly believe that rich people have harmed innocent people and you know you're a good person and you'd never do that, well, then you're kind of condemning yourself to the middle class. You're telling your brain, it's not safe for me to be rich because if I become rich, I'll become a bad person. It's safer for me to stay middle class. And I find that as an overarching fear, especially in communities of color, because we're four times less likely to receive an inheritance and eight times more likely to be impoverished in retirement. So you've got parents that have never gotten an inheritance. Siblings has never gotten an inheritance. You've never gotten an inheritance. It's easy to be fearful of big sums of money because y'all never had it. And it's easy to go on TV and go, oh, Elon Musk is crazy. He's evil. Mm. Maybe half of that's true. But I know some crazy evil people that don't have any money. I don't think there's a correlation between morality and money that we like to make it. So there's a lot of mindset baggage that we carry out into the marketplace. And unfortunately, it keeps us stuck and is often the reason why so many black businesses go out of business so soon. We're undercapitalized. It's so interesting, right? Because I recently wrote a piece about money mindset shift to actually earn wealth. And one of the person that I interviewed for this is Rachel Rogers. And you touched on a lot of the points that she made about letting go of scarcity mindset or even thinking that rich people were evil. And it just plays a huge, huge part in what we are able to do or how much we think we are capable of earning. Mindset is so important. So how can we shift our beliefs? How can we let go of those beliefs about money that don't serve us? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think what people really need to start with is accepting that we all have a money story. Every single one of us believes something about money. We were raised, money doesn't grow on trees, money is everywhere, money is easy, money is hard. Mm -hmm. Identify your money story. My money story is erroneous. It was that hard work paid off. Mm. I yes. come from a school <laughs> of hard workers. Okay. Very common in the community. Very common. My grandfather was a hard worker. My mother is a hard worker. She's in her 70s, still working, much to my chagrin. Okay. So I was taught as long as you just keep working and they put the Bible in it, right? The idle hands, if your idle mind is the devil's workshop, the whole thing. I think that you should work to stay busy, to have purpose, if you like, but working doesn't create wealth. So identify your money story. You need to understand where that story comes from. Don't blame your parents, but understand it's your parents' story. It's your husband's story. It's your grandparents'. It's not yours. You didn't write it. You're not married to it. And then you need to start disproving it. 
So for me, I had to work less. For me, I had to meet millionaires who barely worked at all. I started to actively seek out people who had wealth without hard work. Mm. I had to disprove my story because until I disprove, I'm an intelligent person. You are too. Black women are the most educated group of people in the United States. We're the most educated demographic. You can't just tell a black woman a data point like that and just walk off. You got to have some proof. So I tell them, disprove your story. Whatever you believe, start actively finding people who make that story untrue. Mm. Then you got a big hurdle. You need to disassociate your self-worth from your net worth. That one is powerful. Mm. You got to stop with this. I'm a banker. I'm a lawyer. I'm a CPA, CFP, ABCDEFG. We string all these letters behind our names to give ourselves purpose. You got to disassociate your self-worth from your network, your degrees, your marital status, the money, your bank account, all of it. You have value as a person, as a child of God, if you are a believer. You have value, period. Whether someone buys from me or not, whether someone listens to this episode of this podcast or not, whether somebody likes me on Facebook or not, I have value. And if I can recognize that, then I can detach myself from these frivolous outcomes that keep me trapped in this money store. I was trapped in the hard work money store because to me, my self-worth was attached to my job title Mm. and it was attached to my work ethic. People thinking I was a hard worker was important to me. I used to tout how many hours I worked. I was proud. Mm. I was burnt out, but I was proud. I was arrogant about my hard work. I call people lazy. Now I'm the lazy one. I don't want to work at all. I want to put $10 million in the stock market and never, ever clock in again. But that's a shift. And that only happened when I started meeting wealthy people. And once you've done all this, you could choose a new story and act on it. So now my new story is that I can become wealth with flow, wealthy with flow and ease. I can become wealthy working 10 hours a week if I want or zero hours a week if I want. Like the amount of coaching clients, the amount of work, the amount of hours is negligent to the dollar amount I want to have. And so at that point, it's easy. Then you just need to commit to making the changes, small changes like my calendar. What of this is necessary? What of this do I have to do? And what of this am I doing because of my hard work trauma? Mm. And forgive myself for living so long in that wrong mind state. So it's some inner work that has to happen, but it can be done. Anyone can rewrite their money story. I love, love, love that. On your website, you wrote that through my work as a money mindset coach, I have discovered that most clients don't have a sales problem. They have a mindset problem that's causing them to stay small, hide from opportunities and downplay their greatness. Tell me more about that. For sure. Women come to me and go, Natalie, I'm terrible at sales. And I'm not going to argue. Maybe some of them are. But that's not the real issue mediocre people tend to be the best salespeople. Have you ever bought something that was just awful? <laughs> it's so far. You go to a grocery store, it's got all these adjectives on the box. You heat it up, it tastes terrible. You go to the best masseuse in town and they hurt your back. I mean, you spend money on someone and they're decidedly average, but they are overrun with business. Why is that? Mm. It's because they have confidence. It's because they have the mindset that they are deserving of money. And so I learned that the smarter people get, the further away they tend to get from that. They get to be really humble. And I'll tell you why. 
When black women get lots of degrees in the workplace, they're usually more educated than their supervisor. They're more educated than the men in the office. People start to get jealous and they start to say demeaning things. They start to bash you for your degrees. How many times have you or a friend had to remove a degree off your resume to get a job? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you were overqualified, mm -hmm. right? So we take that same mindset and trauma into business. We think we're overqualified. So we dumb down ourselves and our offer. And we kind of make ourselves small and unobtrusive. So no one thinks we're that angry black woman. We just dip a toe. We just put a tiny little thing out there in the off market, a $37 workbook. Just something small that, that anybody would buy. And that's what we're thinking. It's so cheap, anyone would buy it. But the problem is it's so cheap that nobody wants it. There's nothing exciting about low ticket offers. There's nothing exciting about them. No one is excited about paying you 37 bucks. No one thinks 37 bucks is going to change their life. It's not possible. And by making ourselves really small and trapping ourselves into a situation where we're like, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm not going to be wealthy from this offer no lives are going to be changed from this offer. I'm just putting it out there to test the waters. Well, what if the waters wanted a solution? So I usually tell people, what's people's real problem? I met with a woman who was, I won't call her a weight loss coach, a health coach, a wellness coach. She wasn't a dietitian, but she was a coach for people who had picked up some weight during COVID and weren't happy with their bodies. And we did an hour long consultation. And at the end of it, she tried to pitch me some kind of $99 a month mess with a supplement or something. So, Ma'am, I done gained like 50 pounds. I don't want no $99. You ain't got no real offer. You ain't got no like hypnotherapy, somatic, I don't know, tantric, vault. <laughs> you have no like art of toxin removal. I don't know. In my mind, I'm too heavy for a $99 solution. Mm. She had lost her trust with me because I'm like, you don't put me through this whole long shenanigan just so you could sell me some vitamins. I could have bought some damn vitamins at the store myself. Like she did herself a disservice. And I bet you if she had been a white man, she would have been prepared with her high ticket something, something. Now, that's not to say that charging people a whole lot of money makes them trust you. But charging them a tiny amount makes them mistrust you because mm. your promise is misaligned with the value and the pricing that you have presented. So if you're going to make a big promise, it's going to have to come with a big transformation and a big price. Anything else is going to be out of alignment and make people immediately go, hmm, something doesn't seem quite right about that. And that's why you think you have a sales problem because people keep telling you no. What they're trying to tell you is, I don't trust you. Mm. It's so interesting. And we were talking about that before we started recording. I'm not a money mindset coach, but I, I work with a lot of Black women. And that's one thing that a lot of us have to overcome, charging more and getting comfortable with that. And a lot of times we put ourselves in the other person's pocket instead of really just looking at how much value you're providing and pricing based off that. I'm just so, so, so glad that you're doing work around that because it's much needed. Thank you. You know, pricing is tough. Because a lot of times when we start these businesses, we're doing it with no education in terms of how to run a business or how to price a service. We just go out into the marketplace and kind of poke around at what people do. That's actually going to be my next on a workshop class lead magnet is the pricing mistakes that are keeping you stuck. Mm. 
the price of mistakes that are keeping you from your next money milestone because you're absolutely right. If we really believed in the value, and I like to anchor to a three-year value. So maybe not lifetime value of your service, but if someone hires me, what's the three-year value? What's the three-year value of pricing your services correctly, learning how to sell with integrity, and having the confidence of putting yourself out? What's the dollar amount on three years out from that? Hmm. And anchor my price to that number instead of what I think someone will pay per month or per hour. We're stuck in that hourly pricing because we're used to corporate. I was making $26 an hour. So $100 an hour, $200 an hour, $500 an hour. Sounds like a ton of money, but I've got expenses like you wouldn't believe. Growing and scaling a business is not cheap, not a real one. And so I think we need to keep in mind, you're not pricing for the business you have. You're pricing for the business you want. You're pricing Mm. for the business you need, like tech and equipment. I'm tech inept. I have to hire consultants to do stuff for me because I don't have any skill to build sales pages, websites, integrations, Asana, project management, customer management. I don't know how to use that stuff. So if I want them to go do a tweak, I have to pay. So I have to make sure that my price reflects the fact that I can't just go in and update their proposal quickly, that I have to pay someone to do that. And I think a lot of times we try to charge just just enough to scrape by, not enough to actually grow, which is why we get stagnant and ultimately quit. And I ain't quitting. I think one of the things that a lot of us tend to do is basically saying, hey, this person is overpriced or too expensive. But in reality, it's that you can't afford them right now, (laughs) right? Or maybe it's the wrong market. I've never bought a Louis Vuitton purse. I've never been on Louis Vuitton's website. I hear that their purses are quite expensive, but I'm just not Louis Vuitton's target demographic. Mm -hmm. That's more likely. I'm just not the type of person to carry a $7,000 purse. I live in Alabama, probably the least stylish state ever. No one here should be carrying a Louis Vuitton purse. There's nowhere to go. No one's going to see you. There's nobody famous. There's no celebrity that's going to walk by and go, oh my God, you have the newest Louis Vuitton bag. There's no fashion show. Nothing. There's no point. So you probably never watch me carry a $7,000 bag. That don't mean the bag ain't worth $7,000. It's worth $7,000 to someone. Mm. It's just not worth it to me. But you know what's also not worth money? Swimming lessons, tattoos, There's lots of stuff I don't have because it's not valuable to Mm -hmm. me. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean it's not valuable to people. The problem that we have, we try to interrupt the buying cycle at the wrong point. We try Mm. to convince people. We try to create awareness, then move people to consideration, then try to get them to intend to hire us, then get the purchase, and then get loyalty. We're trying to make people aware that they have a problem. Why? Why not find people who are already aware of their problem and are already considering hiring somebody? That's Mm. where I get people. Mm. My content makes them aware. That's what your content is for, awareness. That's what your content is for, consideration. That's not what sales calls are for. That's not what sales pages are for. I am not convincing anybody they need a coach. If people are in my DMs, I don't know if I need a coach, honey. You're in the wrong place. (laughs) I am not convincing you you need a coach. I want people who want to be coached. If you're an attorney, stop begging people to get estate plans. Find people who care about their legacy and their children. Stop begging people. It's off brand. Mm. And it pulls you out of an abundant energy into a scarce energy because now you feel like you pulling teeth. And even if you do get someone to pay you like that, you won't be able to get loyalty from them. You won't be able to get a repeat customer out of somebody you had to badger. I just closed the cart 
And there was a young lady in my DMs that was literally trying to convince me to convince her to get in my program. I was like, I'm not <laughs> doing it. Here's the link. Hope to see you inside. Cart closes this date and this time. So earlier you hinted that you weren't always aware of how much power you had over how much you could earn. True. Tell me about the type of work that you had to do to get there. I'm kind of atypical. I just put stuff out there. I think I'm just bolder than most people because I knew I didn't know what I didn't know. And to me, my mom was biology major. Okay. She taught me the scientific method. She taught me about primary and secondary data. She told me, if you don't know the answer to a problem, you probably don't have enough data. So I decided to create some data. I literally, with no market research, with no formula, with no coach, put a dollar amount on an offer. I think it was $1,000 for four weeks of coaching on budgeting and saving. I just put myself out there as a finance coach and pitched four people $1,000 serving. One of them said yes. She was a nightmare. And so I decided... I was going to price myself out of that headache that I wasn't selling another thing at $1,000 because $1,000 don't work. Mm. Maybe $1,500 works, maybe $3,000 works, maybe $5,000 works. And that's what I did in the beginning because I didn't have a basis to draw from. I'd never been an entrepreneur before. Now you can get all these fancy formulas and calculators and your expenses, your revenue, and how much profit you want. You can type all these numbers in. It'll spit stuff out. But for me, I had to feel it. I had to be confident at the level I could deliver for people. And you learn things. You learn what kind of software works and what kind of software doesn't. You learn what kind of client you really don't want. You learn that if you offer a payment plan, you get a different kind of client than if you force people to pay in full. You learn that when people pay in full, they show up fully. They show up differently. When people have thousands invested up front, they show up differently than people who are making monthly payments. Mm. This is only things you learn when you have data. The problem is most people are too afraid to make a mistake. So they won't even put any offer out there. They're fearful of everything. They're like, what if it's wrong? You know what? Maybe my first offer was wrong. Maybe it was bad. But thankfully, it was only four weeks. So if it sucked, it sucked. You can do anything for four weeks, right? Just don't build yourself. I wouldn't tell someone to start off with a one-year $12,000 mastermind. I probably wouldn't tell somebody to start there because without any data on one, how do you make a group with 20? How do you make a big cohort? But I think some action is better than inaction. And I think what I did better or different than most people is I took an action and I stuck to it. And if I didn't like my outcome, I just chose a different action. But then I had data to build on. You got to get a preliminary piece of data. Mm. So. For listeners who have a nine to five, do you have any tips on how they can earn more? You should take your nine to five income and maximize it. If you're not putting money into your 401k, you should be. I just read a report that only 34% of Black households participated in the stock market run of the last two years, as opposed to 61% of white households, Mm -hmm. a half. And we have exposure to 401ks. If you have a business idea, let your company start funding that. Go ahead and start getting numbers. How much would it be for a website? How much would it be for a coach? How much would it be for a bookkeeper? How much would it be for an accountant? How much would it be to have contracts drafted from an attorney? And maybe go ahead and start buying those investments. So that way, when you do leave your job, if you leave your job, because everybody doesn't even want to leave your job, if you leave your job, you can already have some things in place 
I would advise before anybody quit anything that they have six months of living expenses saved. I'm not team quit your job. I'm not team listen to Natalie get real inspired and go tell your boss off. I don't believe in that. I think that's foolish. I think you should have a cushion, especially if you have children. I think you should always have a backup plan. Dust off your resume and make sure that you could go back in the workplace if need be. Quit your job the right way. Give them a notice and be rehirable. Get you some references. Network and meet with people. See what's out there and ask yourself, do you really hate this job or have you just not maximized it? I got everything from my job. I use my tuition reimbursement. I use my FSA card to save on my health insurance. Go pull out your benefits book and really look at the corporate benefits that your job offers you. It's very likely that there's something there that you could be using internal files or memos. Maybe there's a mentorship program. Maybe there's financial counseling or coaching. My firm actually had a number we could call to get personalized financial coaching. Mm. If you work for a big company, you likely have a benefit that you're not even using. So build wealth while you have your W-2 job. Don't look at it as wasting time. That's what makes me sad when people go, oh, I hate all the years I wasted in corporate. I don't because if I hadn't been in banking, I wouldn't know how to be a good financial coach. I wouldn't know the pitfalls out there. I wouldn't know what to tell people to say when they go to the bank and apply for a loan. I wouldn't have seen firsthand how black people are being completely excluded from these conversations. I wouldn't have started my own firm. Hmm. (laughs) So none of that time was wasted. None of that money was wasted. It was a blessing. I hate to hear people, oh, I hated my job and I got nothing out of it. I wasted my time. You missed the lesson. And if you think entrepreneurship is easier, better, or less time consuming on the front end, you are in for a rude awakening. Okay. If you got a job where you can clock in and clock out, you blessed. Mm. (laughs) Do the best with what you have and work towards what you want. So for any of the dreamers listening, ready to change their money mindset, what are three to five steps that they can take today to start developing the mindset that will help them step into the wealthy life that they deserve? One, they need to stop caring what other people think about them. As my mother would tell me, what other people think about you is none of your business. Mm. Two, they need to up-level their circle. As my father, Nate Daniel Johnson would say, if you hang around four broke people, you sure to be the fifth. Do you hang out with people who live lives that you aspire to? If not, you need to change. Three, stop counting people pocket. Don't worry about who can afford what. Just put your offer out there. If God calls you to do it, if you envision it, if you want it, do it. Stop letting broke people talk you out of being rich. Hmm. Stop commiserating with people who you hate your job. So y'all go in the break room and commiserate together about how you hate your job. Now what? Y'all still got the same job, right? So if you want to get out of your job, you need to start talking to entrepreneurs who quit their job. Get around people who are doing better and honestly, let go of the idea of perfectionism. It doesn't exist. Only God is perfect. Perfect is boring on humans. It serves no purpose. Everybody knows it's fake and phony because no one could be perfect. And so you immediately lose trust with people when you tell them you want to be perfect. You want to wait till it's perfect. You're losing money every day you don't make a decision. Either way, 10 years from now, you will have lost an immeasurable amount of money because you didn't launch. So I would tell them to launch something now, whatever that thing is that brings them up and gives them joy until they can leap if they're planning to leap or until they can fall back in love with their job, which I have seen done. So Natalie, I'd like to end the interview with a round of rapid fire questions. Tell me about a book that changed your perspective on life. 
Atomic Habits. What's one thing about money you wish you could tell your younger self? Buy shares of Apple stock. What's the best investment in yourself you've made so far? I hired a business coach, Darnielle Jervy Harmon. Filling the blank in three words or less. Money to me is? Freedom. What do you want your legacy to be? Hmm. Uplifting and eradicating poverty in the Black community. Love that. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Please tell the dreamers where to find you. Yes, I'm having a rebrand. By the time you hear this, you will be able to go to nataliebullen.com and see the new site. You can follow me on Instagram at Unapologetic Wealth, or you can join my Facebook group, Unapologetic Wealth for Entrepreneurs. All right. Thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you. All right. That was Natalie Bullen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I cannot wait to see you back here next week for another episode. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Dreamers Podcast. You can find the episode show notes and all of the links mentioned at dreamoflegacy.com. If you like today's episode, here's what you can do to support me and help more dreamers discover the podcast. Follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate and review the podcast to help the podcast gain more visibility. Share the podcast with your family, friends, and coworkers. And if you really enjoyed today's episode, please take a second to tag me at thedreamers.podcast on Instagram and let me know what you liked about today's episode. All right, dreamers, that's it for today. I will see you back here next week for another episode of the Dreamers Podcast. Okay, Dreamers, time to build this legacy. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It is not intended to provide any tax, legal, financial planning, insurance, accounting, investment, or any other kind of professional advice or services. Please consult with an appropriate tax, financial, or legal professional to receive appropriate advice based on your situation. Mm -hmm.